2: I'm sorry.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong for our finale show of this year. Anyway, we're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff in 2022, but it's the last show of 2021. And so we figured why not do one for the fans when we say for the fans, Jack and I, we always show up. We bleed for you fans. But this one, we just got a lot of fan requests to do this particular movie to talk about its controversial tomato meter score. So we're going to get into. Yes, it's time. For Eternals, the latest film in the MCU. We're going to talk about that with a very special guest. But before that, it's nice to be back with you, Jacqueline Coley. How has your life been since, I don't know, when was the last time we hung out? Was it at your Thanksgiving? Which, by the way, Shush. thank you so much. I had a ball.
0: <laughs> yes, it was fun. Me and you got to hang out in the wilds, not on the internet. But in the actual IRL. It was awesome. And thanks for coming. It's fun times. I'm excited to talk about this movie. You guys can stop DMing me about it. Like, I, <laughs> Are, I get it. I know we want Eternals to discuss it. DMs. <laughs> a couple, more than a yeah. couple.
3: I see, w- w- with this movie in particular, it's currently 48% on the tomato meter, which is just shocking to hear. Regardless whether you've seen the movie or not, and if you're listening to this, you probably should have seen the movie because it's going to be spoilers aplenty. It's a newer movie. I just want to warn you all right off the bat. But 48%, Jack, when you hear that and you're like, but it's an MCU movie, right? It's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All Mm -hmm. those movies are fresh. Regardless of how any one person feels about a particular MCU film, they're all fresh. Now, I will say the audience score for Eternals is still fresh, 78%. So... Should it be rotten? What's going on with the critics on this? We're going to see where it ranks for us in the context of other MCU films, other comic book films. Chloe Zhao is a director because this is her first film. Not only is this her first rotten film she's directed, it's her first film that is not at least 90% on the tomato meter. And so there's a lot to get into uh, with this movie. And this is why we bring in my Marvel Cinematic Universe, really my comic book movie whisper. This is why... You bring in somebody who's literally on a show called Comic Book Shopping where he's so entertaining buying comic books on a weekly basis, they had to put the cameras and mics on him with very special guests in his own right. He recently presented this film for Marvel, at El Capitan, and he looked like he had a good time presenting the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. There was also, I think Tom Holland came out for that. Coy, that must have been a life-changing event for you. This is Coy Jandrew, by the way.
2: Uh, Both. Both were life-changing because this is, I feel, the first one that I was loud enough about that Marvel heard it. I was like, no, this is how it's done. Uh, And (laughs) that that really felt special. And then Spider-Man was how I learned to read. Uh, I I literally put together photos to words with Todd McFarlane's Torment in 1990. And I have a picture of me on my second birthday with a Spider-Man number two behind me. And uh, I got to tell Todd that he helped me learn to read because of Spider-Man. So uh, Tom and I really connected over the foundational aspect of the character for us. And then to be live streamed to Mexico City, as well as in front of 500 Angelinos, as well as knowing like 40 million people would watch it. Uh, it, it was kind of the most self-actualized I've ever felt because I know I'll never play Spider-Man, but I got to introduce Spider-Man. Like I got to be with in that context, Spider-Man showing the trailer to the world and the whole world had to wait for us to press play, which just felt like. That's the closest I'll ever be to being Spider-Man, and it was impossibly special. So Sony, Marvel, you lovelies, it's been a it's been a solid wrap-up to a very long rough year. Like that's how you end a year like twenty twenty one has been.
3: Well, I would say don't give up on that Spidey dream just yet because apparently there's a lot of timelines going on right now. Um, much like <laughs> you, Flash I learned how Thompson to read Spider Man. Yeah, I, I was 1990 was the year I learned how to read. The unfortunate part of that is that I was 10 years old. So, Coy, let, let me ask you this because you 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 are the self proclaimed Neo from the Matrix of Eternals. And what I gather by that is that you're probably a fan of this movie. So I'm gonna ask you a question, and you know where I'm going with this. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Eternals with that forty-eight percent tomato meter score?
2: I, I've done this show before and I've and I've given certain lists of movies that I thought, hey, come on, let's let's reanalyze this. I've had many conversations with you, with Lucy, I've I've briefly talked about this with I think anyone that will listen. I've never thought Rotten Tomatoes was more wrong until today.
3: Wow. Sorry. Okay. We, then we kick off with a spicy take right off the bat. So now the only place to go is back to Jacqueline Coley. Jacqueline, you and I seem to have fun jockeying for position as to who has to give the tougher synopsis. And I might have just won because you have to tell us what Eternals is about. You can, be, you can just say there's Celestials and Deviants and be done with it if you want. You have the four, my lady.
0: Celestials and Deviants, and I'm gonna be done. No, I'm kidding, no, (laughs) I'm not gonna do that. (laughs) So, this is what we'll go ahead and do. I'm gonna try on this one, but just know that the, one of the reasons why this movie has a score that it has is because of what I'm gonna have to explain. But here we go. <laughs> so the Eternals, this is a group of 10 warriors. There are five thinkers, and there are five sort of warriors, actual people that fight. And they have been living on Earth since the dawn of time, sort of guiding humanity to further aspects of advancement. On the team, we have Athena, who's actually based off the goddess Athena, we have King Goo. Um, He's you know shoots fires from his lightning. They all have really cool powers. We have Faustus who's able to sort of think up any ideas. And the whole time that they've been here uh, on top of guiding humanity, they've also been fighting these really gnarly looking alien things called deviants. Their whole mission, no matter what happens, slavery, wars, doesn't matter. All they really wanna do is destroy deviants. And during this time, they have friendships, alliances, they fall in love and we start the film the Deviants are back. They've all been waiting to leave and go home. The Deviants are back. And then we go through, I would say, a topsy-turvy sort of world tour to try and kill the very last of the Deviants. But spoiler alert, at the end, it turns out that the Eternals were just a grand plot to destroy the Earth so that it can billion galaxies, can be sprung out from this sort of, like, All I being, it's really complicated, has lots of space stuff, but the Eternals essentially figure out that their entire mission was a lie and they double cross their makers so that they can actually save the earth from being a tiny little incubation pod for a billion galaxies and they win. And then they get in trouble and Harry Harry Styles shows up and uh, (laughs) Marvel's first sex scene, first gay kiss,
3: boom yeah yeah um first uh i mean it, there were a lot of firsts in this movie and that was a maybe the greatest synopsis we've ever had on in the history of the show so you're you're practicing in the mirror paid off there jack
0: it was definitely um, no practicing with that but listen <laughs> i got it through because i just tried to get you the more important stuff i'm not going through all these people's names but at least you know they fight and think
3: They fight, they think, and wow, is that a whole lot to chew on, because you're talking about so many different planets and universes, galaxies, all of that good stuff wrapped up into this, the very history of humanity, predating humanity, and it really seems like uh, just so many times in movies, humans are really the bane of everyone else's existence, and so I'm sorry to any celestial beings that may be enjoying this podcast. It is produced by the one, the only, Producey Lucy. Welcome to the show, Producey Lucy. Now, you... I don't. I'm not sure about your feelings on Eternals as a film yet, but I know that you loved some of the casting.
4: Oh yes, I'll I'll refrain from sharing my thoughts so y'all can take that for the show. But I love Barry. I'm gonna butcher his name here. Barry Kion. Kion? Keegan. Ke- it's it's Ke- actually
2: Kogan. It's way easier Co- than we all. Cogan? We all made it hard. Barry. Oh. I mean, he
4: barely speaks in the movie, and he almost steals it. I think he's a scene stealer. He's so good. I can't wait to see him do all sorts of stuff. You could see him in a killing from the sacred deer, that creepy movie. Yeah, he's, he's just so incredible. The way he holds himself, his eyes. Loved and now him. he's getting
0: really buff. I know. You follow oh, him box, on Instagram, right? dude. Yeah. He's
4: like. Yeah. Taking like he's gonna have like a Kumail cool glow up he's, like legit. He is, <laughs> oof, I, I am excited to watch this boy's career. Um and then uh Gemma Chan. I, I I didn't really like understand how awesome she was in Crazy Rich Asians, but I think she was a great leading lady. I think she's so beautiful. I love just watching her on screen. <laughs> it was fun. It.
3: Okay, so I we know Koi loves this movie. Um Jacqueline your feelings on Eternals. Is Rotten Tomatoes right or wrong with that 48%?
0: One thing I will say, Mark, I think I'm like rubbing off on you because like one of the, my favorite things when a movie is not bad, but also not good is my favorite thing. It's like, I'm not saying it's bad, but I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> I say that all the time. And so when you came in here, it's like, listen, I just have questions. I'm like, ah, <laughs> we'll rub it off on you there. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I'm sure you probably had the same.
3: <laughs> I'm the same way. I, because I, I honestly, I vacillate between like what my specific score should be. I think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong because I, I feel like this movie deserves to be, if not fresh, closer to fresh. And 48%, it's not bad if you're Jean Claude Van Damme, but for an MCU movie, you kind of think, well, this should be fresh, right? I mean, all the other ones are fresh. I'd put this one just below fresh or just above fresh. It's right in that 58 to 62 percent range for me because well we'll get into that but before we get into that let's hear what the critics were saying way back when this movie was released i don't know what four weeks ago this is our segment with our expert review curation manager here at rotten tomatoes tim bryan is going to tell us what the critics are saying about eternals and that is how we kick off the segment
1: called two minutes with tim two minutes with tim on paper eternals has a lot going for it After winning Best Picture and Best Director Oscars for Nomadland, Chloe Zhao is the hottest director in Hollywood. And she has Gemma Chan, Kumail Nanjiani, Angelina Jolie, and Selma Hayek top-lining an incredibly diverse cast. But Eternals has an enormous task. Continue to set the stage for a new phase of the MCU, introduce a bunch of new characters, and deliver big thrills while staying true to Zhao's signature style. Unfortunately, while a number of critics found it to be admirably ambitious with intriguing characters and some of the best cinematography of any Marvel movie, many felt the film was defeated by the sheer weight of its mission, along with an uneven tone and occasionally slow pacing. Eternals is rotten at 48% with 363 reviews, but it does have a 78% audience score. And just for reference, the next worst reviewed entry in the MCU, Thor The Dark World, is at 66% with 285 reviews. We covered that one in a previous episode. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Kylie Cheung of Salon.com wrote, Eternals stands out as a triumph for diverse storytelling and representation, but its depth and pace are severely hindered by the same cast and outstanding star power that give the movie its spark. Still, Eternals lays exciting groundwork that hints at just how enormous and unexplored the rapidly expanding multiverse is. However, in a fresh review, Sarah Michelle Fetters of MovieFreak.com wrote, Eternals shoots for the stars, and if the finished product isn't quite out of this world, it's still close enough to getting there that my interest in seeing where these characters go next is exceedingly high. So that's Eternals. Let's kick it back to everyone's favorite superheroes, Jacqueline and Mark. Back to you, folks.
3: Well, thank you, Tim. That's very sweet of you. I feel like the critics were divided on this one, and there are really two schools of thought with their division so we're going to get into that we're going to get into our feelings about the movie our thoughts on the cast our thoughts on the pacing the depth all that great stuff and more including our ranking of where this movie fits within the context of the mcu pantheon right now with movie talk hit the music I'm going to get right into this. So half the critics seem to be saying that they wanted more of like an arthouse superhero movie. And the other half of the critics said, well, no, they wanted it to feel more Marvel. And so, Coy, was this movie too art house? Was this movie too Marvel? Was it not enough of either one? What exactly is your take on how Eternals has been presented?
2: I think that part of why I think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong is this is the maturation of the MCU. It needed to be exactly this gateway drug between the two. If it was any less Marvel than people would have been, it was very little Marvel. It was, it was maybe 10 to 15% Marvel. There were some name drops, there were some references, there was some tonalities in the fight sequences, but overall it was the least Marvel film in the Marvel universe. If you cut that down even more, I don't think people would consider it Marvel. What Shang-Chi did was beautiful in that it was like a 70-30 split. It gave us a lot of new, but there were moments that were certainly tied directly to the MCU in a way that felt like, oh, I know what we're doing here. I think it was really smart to release this very soon after Shang-Chi to show, hey, we're gonna make these things where there's gonna be more hand-holding in the sunset than there's gonna be fight scenes. And I personally think that's how you get people that aren't fans of the MCU to understand there is a bit of a gateway. Marvel Comics in print is a series of books that go from young adult to full adult, that go from the YA line right to the max line, that go from, you know, PG-13 Spider-Man comics to full-blown R-rated Deadpool comics. And the difference between Spider-Man and Deadpool is some of those jokes, is some of those tones, is some of those choices. So if everything feels the same, there's no difference between Deadpool and Spider-Man. If everything feels the same, then the people that don't like Marvel have a leg to stand on. So to me, presenting it like this, I could have done with even a little less Marvel. Uh, and I, I'm the Marvel guy i could have done without the scene where they mentioned thor when they were kids because technically that doesn't make sense in canon i don't understand how they would have known each other unless he was using the bifrost and what it's another conversation but my point being is there a way to show people hey we're gonna grow this up hey you're gonna complain about it anyway but we're gonna make a really special film i don't think so i think we're always gonna encounter the I want this, it's not how I thought of it, Snyder Cut problem at all. Everyone's going to theorize a movie in their mind up until it comes out, and if it's not exactly that, there will be complaints. I thought this movie did what every single Marvel naysayer has wanted, but unfortunately, it wasn't as approachable as I think they wanted it to be. This isn't a movie you can just casually watch a lot of Marvel films are great to go to sleep to or to like watch for the 20th time casually they're very approachable while you're eating and talking your family movies not the first time don't you do that the first time you watch it but as you get into it this movie is a, is a watch this is a book this is something to digest it's a commentary on morality mortality and theology that's not something you get in the background so if they had a little less Marvel I would have been happy but I don't think it would have worked for the greater MCU as a whole
0: Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's com slash Wondery.
3: Jacqueline, the tonality is one thing we can talk about all day, but in your eyes, did they simply try to do too much with Eternals?
0: I mean, that's the, the too much, try to do too much. I think they really wanted a movie that does too much. And I think this happens to be that movie. And I think when Marvel signs up to do these types of movies, tone, which this movie has issues with, but clearly does make a distinction on shifts that they're trying to make, and planting seed crumbs that you can sort of like reap later is more important, I think, than the movies intended instant commerciality or what people are gonna understand it to mean in the bigger MCU. And I'll just use the example that I love using all the time which is Age of Ultron. Like, Joss, like, he talked all the time about how they were asking so much more of him for that script, both from, like, what it sets up. Because think what it sets up. It sets up Wakanda. It sets up, you know, space. It sets up Ragnarok. I mean, this is literally the next half of the phase that he's in. And the phase after that, he's setting up in this one movie. I think Eternals is this moment. For this new set of phases where it's going to look a little messy right now because they're literally putting some ropes down. And I think they're like, hey, we put ropes down with someone like Chloe Zhao, even if it doesn't turn out correct, we'll still be able because she even talked about it. a lot of the decisions that this movie does were made before she came on board.
2: Jacqueline, I've never thought of it that way. I love that so much, the Age of Ultron parallel, because Age of Ultron is one of the movies that I actually have more problems with than most. I, I did this show talking about it, and I'm usually a team like 20% higher, and that one I'm like maybe 20% lower. Yeah. But it, it all the things I have a problem with of Age of Ultron, this did the opposite of. Every time I felt they rushed or added in a joke in Age of Ultron, this one gave me an emotional moment. This movie has, in my opinion, 10 characters who are so well fleshed out that there are conflicts happening off screen that I go, of course, that's how they'd handle that. Of course, this is the issue with these characters. Whereas in Age of Ultron, every time they cut to like a conflict, I'm like, oh, they wouldn't normally fight, but they're doing that for the sake of phase seven. Oh, this normally Mm -hmm. wouldn't happen, but we need to set up this. This has... I think 10 characters in two hours and 40 minutes that I know more about than I've known about with three movies of a character arc. And I just met these people because I think they do so much in dialogue and so much in these really drawn out long pauses in conversation. So this is kind of the age of, anti-Age of Ultron for me. So I love the idea that people in phase five will go back and like, oh, this unspoken masterpiece.
0: Yeah, and not even not an unspoken masterpiece, but just um, the difficulty of what they were trying to set up. I think there's so much setup in this movie that they know it's probably not always going to play out as well. And so they're like, hey, if we're going to play with House Money and Chloe Zhao directing with starring Angelina Jolie, it's kind of House Money.
3: Yeah. And the movie looks gorgeous. The, the movie throughout, I, I, I was stunned by the quality of, of the shots, of, of the scope, the, the cinematography blew me away might be the best I've ever seen in an MCU movie which is saying something but what the strongest part of this movie was for me was the characters so getting to meet these characters and like Koi you intimated how well fleshed out they are I felt that with every new character I met not knowing virtually anything about these folks walking into the movie and so the standouts for me were Gemma Chan as Cersei I thought she was great I thought that was a phenomenal lead performance and then I also really I don't think I'm alone in this I loved Kumail Nanjiani as Kingo And it's not just because he gives all of us comedians hope to one day have abs. It's just because he really brings a lot of that MCU flavor that we've come to know and love to this because he's funny. Mm -hmm. He's just naturally funny. And when we get to see him and what his (laughs) career on Earth evolves into, it's a nice surprise And, and it's funny and it plays and it just gives us some levity because my issue, my biggest issue with this movie was just how... It felt like we were plotting along over the same plot points throughout the two-and-a-half-hour-plus runtime. It felt like we had all come to this consensus that we're not sure if we should be meddling with humanity, if we should not be stringing them along. And then it just feels like we have that same conversation every 500 years or so. And I'm at some point, it's like, can we just move on from this? And so I felt like we kept kind of retracing our steps a little bit with this movie. But that's my overall thought on it. As far as the characters themselves go, start with you, Koi, who really blew the screen up for you in a good way. Who really was like, oh wow, what a I'm so glad we now have this character on our canon.
2: So briefly to speak on, on your issue real quick though, I, I love that your issue is the reach writing because I think that's actually one of its strengths. Um so for my purpose of being here, uh I, I do think with the 10 characters, what you want is to see For example, each of their powers ties to their beliefs in humanity, which I think is genius and has not been done as well in other movies. And each of their outlooks is shaped by the decisions they make in the second and third act that I don't think would go as well if they hadn't rehashed it so many times. Because I do think, like for example, uh, you love Kamel's character. He is someone who loves humanity from a distance because he's made himself above humanity, but he still loves them because without them, he's not a star. So he literally keeps people away. He's got powers that are offensive, that are distance making, and in keeping those people away, that puts them above him. So he decides not to be in the fight at all because he both needs humanity and also wants to be with his family. That's something that happens that, that isn't even discussed because we love and know this character so well. We've got Thena, who is someone dealing with mental illness, which. Uh, as someone who Struggles with the concept of Americans not seeing mental illness as the same as physical illness on a daily basis. It really was beautiful to see someone like Angelina Jolie go. Hey, by the way, this is just as real as losing an arm. Maybe give a crap about your neighbor like that. That mm-hmm. to me was so important. And her thing is being maternal in a way that's almost detrimental. Whereas Salma Hayek was maternal in a way that's very positive. That's why we had to lose Salma Hayek. Otherwise, the conflict couldn't have existed. But you've got a very uh, maternal Thena, but that makes her a warrior. That makes her so that nurtures with, with violence in a way that is not something she wants. So she loves humanity, but doesn't understand because she's the one that's got the mind where the dealing of all this. So she's got a defensive offensive power set and that ties into all of her decisions. So I think if we hadn't had it reiterated to us, multiple times then each of these 10 characters second and third acts wouldn't have felt as impactful wouldn't have felt as important because if we just go like okay here's the problem let's move on we don't get each of their journeys that tie into their powers beautifully that tie into that third act twist because if you look at this movie it actually has uh, three different conflicts you've got the the epiphany of the um deviants actually being effectively human beings like the deviants are revealed to be sentient and they're just doing their job. They're they're very much like us that they're just trying to survive. And I love that that was one of the twists. Then we've got the Icarus twist and he's just a cop following orders. And then you've got basically the idea that you've got billions and billions and billions of races that are now not going to exist because of these Eternals that were tasked with that very job. So Eternals are basically the bad guys of this whole story, not in a Punisher way, not in a Kingpin way, where he's just defending a city, a literal billions of lives destroyed because they messed with the order of things. If we didn't get the, hey, are humans worth saving? We as humans would have no eyeline for those three other conflicts. So I think it was absolutely essential. We live in that as much as we do both to connect us to the 10, but also to make it relevant to us when the celestials don't get to actually populate the planet for me. Do we need all of that in the MCU? I guess. Would be oh, 100%. <laughs> this, because, this, uh, it's also an opportunity to have movies like this over here while you've got Thor over here, while you've got Cap over here. Like, if without this, we don't get more. Right, we but just doesn't get it same. diminish
3: a little bit? Doesn't it diminish every other story that we've ever told in the MCU? Because I don't know if y'all remember 12, 13 years ago, the MCU, it was just two rich guys fighting each other. And man, <laughs> yeah. what a good time we had. And now it just feels like with the scope of storytelling, because there's been previous MCU movies that have have gone on a separate path, Guardians of the Galaxy being one of them, Shang-Chi, Chu, it was another origin story, but now you have this and it just feels like this, the scope of this is so wide and so expansive to include the very origin of the entire sense of being any of us have ever had, that it, it kind of diminishes everything else we've ever done. Like it makes the battle of New York just feel like we're just watching ants build a hill. And Mm. I I don't know, maybe it takes some of the punch out of all the other stories that we've seen so far. Jacqueline, what's your thought on just the scope and how it relates to the rest of the MCU?
0: I don't think it takes the punch out. The reason why I don't think it takes the punch out is we've gone to the galaxies already. And as we go more into the galaxies, like what the heck do we think is gonna happen with Captain Marvel, the new one that's about to come out? You know, Guardians of the Galaxy is introducing us to new people. Guardians of the Galaxy makes it easier because it's shoving all of this stuff in the midst of a very funny, basically music opera, like a rock opera. So it's a little bit easier than with this where there's just like really, you know, traumatic and sometimes very not funny (laughs) aspects of, of what these guys have been through. It's one of the reasons why Kumail is such a valuable character in the movie is because he really does keep that sort of like joke wheel going. Otherwise it would get so dour. So I don't think it's like too much. I think it's more, Once we open it up, let's get back to smaller stories.
2: Yeah, I'm with you because I want Spider-Man to be friendly neighborhood again. I want I want the duality of Guardians and Captain America to be as clear as it should be. And I think we need those things to be I want Winter Soldier followed by Guardians, which is how phase two happened. I think this this just expands out, but it's like it's like Rogue One. Like we we still have Star Wars, but we also have more contained Star Wars. We have things that expand the universe out and have this insane scope, but we keep we keep to the Mandalorian, we keep to Boba Fett. That doesn't diminish either because we've had the craziness of Last Jedi, you know? And that's the
3: hypocrisy of, of, of what I'm saying, of the point I'm making, because because it, to some extent, we all as an audience are a little hypocritical with what we actually want out of a movie, because with Star Wars, like, you hear this all the time and I agree with it. We're done with the Skywalkers. I, in my opinion, we got a bunch of great movies, including three great movies to cap it off about that story. And so now we have this huge galaxy and we're not really exploring a lot of it yet anyway. And hopefully we will whether or not the fans line up the same way they did to go see the skywalkers that's a conversation we'll have later but with this it just felt like so violent it, it felt like i was <laughs> on a ride and i was going at like 1g and then all of a sudden i just got blasted into outer space and i was prepared for an opening up of the world of the universe but it mm. just this one seemed like it did all of that so quickly meeting new characters seeing new powers seeing what the conflict was and having all of those things take all those twists and turns during the course of one movie it it felt like a whole lot to chew on and and like you said i maybe i would have felt differently about it if it did feel a little more like one of those movies that you could put on and rewatch endlessly but it almost feels like this movie going back to revisit it it's almost more like homework than it is putting on a movie for enjoyment's sake does that make sense or am i just a debbie downer here
0: no, I mean look, I could see how you would be like, okay, yeah, this is definitely going to be um dense. Dense. That's Yeah, weird. and I just don't <laughs> need a movie
3: to shove popcorn in my face, but it, it again, I I do maybe I do need to be a little spoon fed and not just like have the entire drum of of Marvel Cinematic Universe goodness just dumps down my gold at once.
2: Do you find you have different, like uh, different moods for different movies, I think is how you keep this from having the bubble burst. Like I do think Mm. there will be times you'll want a think piece. And if Marvel hadn't given us a think piece yet, that would steer you out of the universe. If you wanted to have something that was, hey, I'm going to look at a commentary on humanity and all that it could be, you then wouldn't put in an MCU film until this one. So if you want the things you've gotten so far, you put in your Shang-Chi's, your Black Widows, anything else, you know, that's just the two we've had most recently in the same vein. But for me what made it so special is that it isn't the thing we've gotten to have in the background is that each of these characters, you might identify with more with one day because they're so archetypal. You asked me who my favorites were. For me, Thena with mind weary, having mental illness as a strength, not a negative. She's literally the one that knows more than everyone else, but she's seen as, as someone lacking. That's such a beautiful example of how we perceive even everyday people we meet. Like my, my head's like a bag of cats and I couldn't do a lot of other jobs, but this job I can do because that bag of cats translates into entertaining to some people. Whereas like, if I was an accountant, (laughs) I think I would have just be like it'd be like Michael Douglas and falling down every day not conducive to anyone's happiness but then you've (laughs) also got like Druig who literally sees humanity as like the opiate of the masses. You've got Druig who thinks that humans are happier if they're not thinking, if they're not able to make these choices for themselves. And if that isn't a commentary in the last 100 years, I don't know what is. How how, How many movies could have just been Druig? Druig could have been the lead of a number of movies because that's usually the conflict. So the fact that we have 10 characters that have this big of worldview on the characters of human beings as a concept, that means I can watch this movie 10 different ways. I can rewatch this movie and go, okay, what is Druig's view? What is Gilgamesh's view? What is uh, Icarus's view? And then I've also got the eyeline of the incredible Jon Snow who knows nothing again, but will know so much very soon <laughs> because I, I love the fact that our eye line is a guy who Black Knight is a character who wields basically the anti-Mjolnir. He's a guy that we like who makes horrible decisions throughout the comic book. So I love that they chose to give us an eyeline into these giant creatures with a guy that's like not so great all the time because human beings, not so great all the time. So it's it's the, I would argue, one of the most rewatchable movies because of the nuance, because of the homework, because of the dedication to actually seeing not just its story, but our story as a species in a different way every time.
0: Can I just say this though? I just want to give a shout out to Lucy. And I remember this, I wanted to embarrass her about it. Through our entire outline, she doesn't call Richard Madden, Richard Madden. He's just (laughs) Rob (laughs) Stark. So like the Game of Thrones crossover was real.
1: So I'm I so like glad that, that you brought up Game I, of Thrones. I love that they
3: put that shot of Richard Madden and Kit Harington just looking at each other at the beginning of the movie. And they just give each other the quick what's up and it, at least the, the crowd oh. that I saw this movie and got a giggle out of it. And so yeah. I, I liked that. And it was a nice way to ingratiate us into this movie and just realize that this movie is just going to get deeper and deeper and wider and wider. It, Jacqueline, what was something because it, I can't imagine you were surprised by much in this movie. Because because you know the backstory so well, so Jacqueline, what what surprised you? And then, Coy, I want to go back to you. If anything did shock you in this movie, but Jacqueline, what was the big? Was it the reveal that like all these people that we thought we were rooting for may not actually be people at all? They might just be the the the, the these robot programs, and then we also might be Breaking Bad.
0: Well, I will say I appreciate you giving me so much love, but I will, and I'll. This is like kind of a name drop, but not really. But. I did a big interview with the cast of the Eternals. And so that was actually where I got deed up on the actual comic. I had not known about the Eternals. I was like one of these people who were like, when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, I was giving so many people crap. Cause I'm like, I know just enough about comics to know that if you have somebody bragging about how much they loved the Guardians of the Galaxy before James Gunn made that a movie. They're lying. <laughs> like this is social media <laughs> lying. Yep. Like somebody to be like, oh yeah, I may saw I saw that comic once, or like something like that. That's like reasonable. But for someone to be like, I have the biggest Guardians of the Galaxy stand before that, liars. Anyway, so let me just say I, that I didn't have a lot of knowledge, and but the reason why I didn't get as surprised was because I know Chloe Zhao. And I think I understand how she likes to write a structure. And I definitely understand that she's a big person about character. That's why she directs the movie with 10 of them. More than that, but 10 main (laughs) ones. I knew that Richard Madden was on bullshit the minute he came out. Like I was like, "You you are the only like straight white male on this team and that's a problem. (laughs) you know what I mean because I know Barry I'm not saying that he isn't but he like Barry's pansexual he's flexible you know what I mean like he's he's possessing male female bodies like they didn't say he was explicitly clear I think that dude is just looking for an opportunity
3: yeah, we also do. We could just see it in in the way that that Barry just kind of stares as, as Druick, He just kind of stares, and he's got he just has like that evil look to him. Mm-hmm. At least the way that us as humans would perceive it, because we don't want to think that we're just going to be mindless drones. But you know, Richard Madden as Icarus, he's just so charming and good looking and we get to see the first sex scene in mcu history which i actually thought was a really really well done sex scene yeah. i was like that was that was good stuff and that's not the you know the 10 year old the 12 year old and me just waiting to see if there's nudity in the late night hbo <laughs> movie that's about to come on like i thought it was a really well i felt the power it I, it emotionally resonated with me and i was rooting for them as as a couple and yeah. then And so it did do something to me, Coy. I will say that. And that was the biggest surprise of the movie for me until the post-credit scenes where you see Icarus and it's like, oh, no, we we had this plan and it was going to work. And now you're turning your back on us. And I don't know who to root for anymore. What what surprised Coy Jander about this movie?
2: I was very surprised by how much they made me care about the Deviants so quickly. I d- mm. I knew, I assumed Icarus, by the way, Icarus is not a bad guy in the comics. That is a twist unique to the movie. Um, so that wasn't something that I was waiting for, but like Jacqueline, I was like, ah, like, I don't know if this guy, like from the trailers. So I, that one didn't get me, but me, actually going like, wait. As soon as the first deviant spoke, our our deviant spoke, and I was like, oh, that that's kind of us. Like more than more than even Richard Madden. I mean, more than even Jon Snow. I was like, wait, that that's who we are to them. We're we're just serving a purpose. So that that twist really got me. Um, the, the I do want to talk about the sex scene though because that weirdly was the loudest thing I heard next to the the bigots like. The, the people that have a problem with, with fastos, uh, that's another conversation. But, but next to like the people that I would consider, like not monsters of people. Cause monsters, we don't even need to discuss, but like good people mm-hmm. being so upset about like exposed shoulders was my biggest <laughs> surprise. Like my, so my biggest surprise of the movie was the fact that we are in 2021 and people are more okay with seeing a child, a 15 year old Spider-Man get turned into dust and evaporate. And they're like, hey, my 12 year old can see someone get murked by nature, but he can't see shoulders. We are so prudishly backwards with sex versus violence in this country. And I thought like we'd gotten a little bit better lately because I live in California, I'm in a bubble. But then I was like, wait, we still swear in a Bible and we still claim we're not a religious state and now people are upset with shoulders. So this actually made me believe in humanity more in that this film can exist but it made me believe in americans less in that they have problem with nudity from the neck up like it was i was embarrassed for america for like a can month. i tell y'all something
3: and this maybe it's a little too much information when mark ellis makes love he does show with his clavicles exposed you can I, see thank you thank you. you can see the clavicle because i am progressive and i'm a much better straight white guy than no. icarus <laughs> <laughs> just in terms of just in terms of my motivation. Now, again, I could just be mind controlled by Druig the whole time. So oh. so next time Jacqueline wants to wants to, wants to yell at me for not being in a relationship, I'm going to tell her, look, you go talk to Druig. Druig's my boss. He's the one telling me what to do. And I have no power over my own destiny.
0: I mean, I don't yell at you about that. I'm not your mom. I just want to harness her energy every now and
2: again and give you disapproving <laughs> glances it's the Coors like <laughs> squat combo that really makes the clavicle shine though it's they're, they're a well honed clavicle now so they got to be shown you gotta rock them
3: a guy who shredded his ear, that just makes me feel all good inside did we <laughs> it, it, did we like the uh because I thought the kiss worked really well too there it, it's the first the first uh, gay kiss in the history of the MCU and I like that it didn't it wasn't made up to be this big moment where it's just like the music swelling and it just it felt very natural to me. And I will I, I also really like Brian Tyree Henry's storyline in this because he seemed like he was actually one of them who who liked to become one of us. Like, like he was one of them. But yeah. then he's like, no, I kind of enjoy, you know, go Bulls. I just got to yeah. see Michael Jordan. He's pretty close to yeah. one of us. And and, and so I, I liked that there was that dichotomy between them and that there were certain characters that were more relatable than others. It just, again, it just felt like a lot of time was taken and we, I, I felt like we ran over the same storylines more than we needed to.
0: I think, yes, just with different characters. Doesn't justify it, but I felt like they were just trying to give... I get why they didn't do it because the worst thing in the world would be when to get to that big fight scene at the end and only care about half of the people. It's sort of like an all or a nothing thing.
3: Yeah, and I felt like it did take a long time to get to that volcano too. I I felt like I was waiting a long time. I was like, at some point, can we just hire a hobbit to drop this ring in there? (laughs) Like, this is... This has taken a long time. And maybe I was just tired. I don't know. I don't know what has happened to me as as a movie fan. Maybe I just don't have the endurance built up after not being in a theater for the better part of the last year and a half. So maybe that did have something to do with it. But then the movie ends, and and my theater went crazy with, with applause. I think a lot of it was rightfully so. And then we have a post credit scene. And this is why I, I hope everybody out there has a Koi Jandrew in their life, because... <laughs> I needed to understand. First of all, I needed somebody to tell me that was Harry Styles because I'm still listening to Back Turner Overdrive. So I, I, I heard that was Barry, uh, Harry Styles. And then I'm like, oh, that, that means Barry. something. That's the voice of Patton Oswald. And so now, Coy, if you could just break down what exactly are we looking at with that post credit scene? What does that post credit scene mean for the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe?
2: Mm -hmm. So, Harry Styles is Thanos' brother. He is Eros. Eros is a very fun character that is, I think, going to be unneutered. There was a time where Eros was a beautiful, philandering, pansexual, just going for it, Harry Styles of a man. And then they they kind of like, they made him an Avenger and they called him Star Fox and they tried to make him just like more streamlined. But I think in casting Harry Styles, we're going to go back to what Eros is supposed to be. He's a Jim Starlin creation. If you know Jim Starlin, the man doesn't make heroes. He makes very interesting characters that can mm. do good or bad. Uh, and Pip the Troll is very much like a, a showman of showman, but very much a troll. Like he, he is a self-serving man that is self-serving and even more self-serving man. So Eros is gonna be really fun because I think the best thing that could have happened at the end of this movie is Harry Styles because it got all the Harries in the MCU. It got a lot of people that wouldn't have seen this movie to come see it. It might've shown some people that only were new to the MCU with this movie that there is the scope of what Clo Zhao built us, but it also is going to allow us to have a character that is devious, but lovable in casting Harry Styles. That man can do no wrong. Like he can wear any dress or any pantsuit he likes and he <laughs> can do any sort of horrible business at me. Like I, I got I got a lot of love for Harry Styles both as an entertainer, as a human being and now as Eros because he he authentically just feels like he's trying to do the right thing in real life so I think when he does the wrong thing in the movie, I'll be like, "But I trust you, Harry Styles." So I'm I'm ready to be hurt. I'm ready to be hurt again. Is what I'm saying. Like I'm ready to be in pain. Uh, and then the then the second post credit scene is um, basically the Ebony Blade is a mystical, mythical, demonic, very negative weapon that is kind of the inverse Mjolnir. It it is fueled by making bad decisions. It is a very encouraging of of awful things weapon and it's passed down through a bloodline. So we've got a guy who's a good guy who must do bad things, kind of the inverse of Thor, who was kind of a a bad person trying to become a hero. But in that you've also got uh, a certain voice that pops up, Mahershala Ali, who's gonna be our blade, Um, in bringing him into the more Midnight Sun's uh, supernatural side of Marvel. This is how you bring in the Ghost Riders. This is how you bring in the Daredevils. This is how you bring in the underbelly of Marvel, because not only do we go out into the cosmos, but we go literally into the world where Mephisto and I know that's a buzzword now, but I don't think we're getting Mephisto, but the world of Mephisto where everything is supernatural and kind of horrific and um, there's no better way to bring in in Blade than through the Ebony Blade for the way I think they're taking the character because the Blade character has been canceled so many times, there's not a streamlined continuity for him. So they can really reinvent Blade and since Wesley Snipes, was so iconically blade. And since blade, I think started the Marvel film universe. Like I, I give blade the credit more than X-Men and Spider-Man. Go we side. need to make sure that that new blade feels like the character without feeling like a rehash. So I think introducing him through this way is going to be a way to have Marshall put his stamp on it differently. If that makes sense. So those both those two post credit scenes were probably the two biggest ones we've had since Nick Fury came in. Like these are hugely foundational.
3: Yeah, Jacqueline. Those post-credit scenes knock your socks off, or were you like, "All right"?
0: Um, so I very much enjoyed that. The minute Harry Styles popped up, I literally was able to just like point right at the screen, like <laughs> Leo, Leo, in Once of a Time in Hollywood, and be like, "That's the dude." And then what was really <laughs> also interesting is as everyone was screaming over Harry Styles, you, me, and people that you know listen to comedy stuff probably can say, oh, I immediately know Patton Oswalt's voice. He's a very recognizable face, but not everyone like would pull him
3: out of a lineup of voices. So that was actually really fun. Well, but- I, I, I saw him earlier at the screening.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was we, there. And you didn't we know you were like... He was chewing
3: the fat beforehand, and I just thought he was there because he's a huge comic book nerd. And so I'm like, yeah. oh, uh, uh, are we excited? And so we were just <laughs> talking about that. I had no idea. And he clearly did not... Know, he clearly knew that I did not know that he was in the movie.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess nobody was supposed to know that he was in the movie. So I nope. bet he was like, there's like the, you know, the best kept secret. Like the same way it was for like Natalie Portman when she showed up in Infinity War and people were like, wait, she's in it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Uh, so no, they were both really great. Um, I like that they happened. I do think it's weird that I think in the legacy of this movie at this current moment, the post-credits scenes have really overshadowed the movie itself for good or for bad. That should not be the case.
3: I, I, yeah, it is, sometimes it is like that end stinger is more impactful as you're leaving the theater. And that's what you really get talked about because it is the biggest surprise of the movie. Although I would argue that with Eternals, there were a lot of things that I was not expecting to see. There were a lot mm. of twists and turns with characters and their intentions. And then the post credit scene, it was almost too much. So we can only hope that someday in the future we get to see Harry Styles's clavicles bare <laughs> in a Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe, And so with that, I do have one more question about where this movie fits into your MCU ranking. But for that, I think we should go ahead and head to our behind the scenes talk. See what I did there? I gave you all each a nice beefy six seconds to think about where this <laughs> movie sits in your pantheon of Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Now, I famously enjoy all of them. And I would throw Eternals into that bunch as well. It's so much... I mean, I don't even know how you compare this movie to something like Thor The Dark World or The Incredible Hulk or, or any one of those movies that sometimes people feel less about in the MCU because by comparison, even something like Dark World is such a smaller story than what we got with Eternal. So I can't put it too low because the scope, but I can't put it too high because of the repeat value, the enjoyment factor, just the way that the other narratives flow a little better like a, a Civil War... Or like a Black Panther. So, Coy, you have the first say, sir. Where does this movie sit amongst the Marvel Cinematic Universe greats for
2: you? Number one, Winter Soldier. Two, Guardians. Three, Infinity War. Four, Iron Man. Five, Avengers 1. Six, Endgame. Seven, Civil War. Eight, Loki. Nine, Black Panther. Ten, Eternals.
3: Okay. All so, right. technically, it's the ninth as far as the movies go.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I put all 30 and I keep I I mean, it because it, it's it's can and then 11 is Spider-Man Homecoming and 12 is Shang-Chi. So it's been a good phase four for me. We got two in the top three in the top 12.
3: <laughs> Jacqueline, I'm just glad our son is happy. Uh, yeah. What about for you? Does this one is this one really uh, in your top 10 like it is Koi's?
0: Keeping with the theme of the episode, I am not going to be near as <laughs> specific as Koi, but second tier. There's top tier, that's like the top third. In my top third, we have things like Guardians, Black Panther, uh, Thor Ragnarok, the first Thor. I stand by that. I'm putting this in like second tier area, which is not the ones that I could do without because I like all of the MCU and there's not a single movie that I would kick out of the boat as it were, but I could do without things like the Hulk. I could do without the second Thor. I'm like, I could do without you. Even though I like am a fangirl of what it does, I don't always need to watch age Ultron, So
3: everybody, but, everybody hates on the Incredible Hulk. I just I I don't know why. No. I don't know why. Um
0: anyway, but so I put it in that second, the lower half of that second tier area. So like between 33 and 63% of the list, they're in that, you know, bottom half of that
2: section. What would your rotten tomato score be?
0: Yeah. So like I think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about the Eternals, but just not colossally wrong. I think they're just okay. misguided. How about that? Yeah. yeah. So I,
3: I think Jack and I are probably in that same like like barely yeah. fresh. But if it was like a 59 percent, the famous baseball score, yeah. I, it, it wouldn't like it, it, I wouldn't have to write an angry letter. Like I'd
0: be, I'd be OK with anything above 65 for this one. OK, that's. I just th- don't th- think th- it should be worse than Thor the Dark World.
3: And, and, and that's fair. And, and I think that we all, or at least I, Jacqueline and I probably have Eternals somewhere in our same ranking of MCU movies because I break it down like it's that time of the NFL season when you're looking at who is in the playoffs, who is in the hunt, and who is completely out of the mix. And so mm-hmm. I feel like Eternals is in the hunt, a lot like my Washington football team. The Eternals <laughs> are in the hunt. It's, it's competitive. And so it's right in that middle tier, which I call Ant-Man. It's the Ant-Man <laughs> tier. Because Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, I like Ant-Man. I'm happy to see it. I don't need to see it. It, It's fine. Eternals feels much more vital than an Ant-Man. Although I will say the quantum realm really is going to help us out a lot going forward that is sort of introduced with the Ant-Man lore. But I feel like Eternals is going to stand... I think it's going to stand the test of time and be a more important movie than maybe even we're giving it credit for now. Just because of all the things that it is setting up that Koi was intimating throughout the show. And so I'm looking at all these MCU movies. By the way, our expert researcher Mark Hoffmeyer... This is a full day of just him sorting out all of the MCU movies in order. And so here's my fun little trivia question for both of you is Eternals is actually currently it is the second lowest grossing movie worldwide in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think that a lot of or at least some of that is going to be the responsibility of the last year and a half and what Earth is currently enduring. But And so I feel like if that's some of that is pandemic-related. Can y'all tell me what the lowest, as far as box office gross worldwide, Marvel Cinematic Universe is? Coy, you look like you have a guess. Black Widow. All right, Black Widow is Coy's guess. Jacqueline, do you have a wager?
0: Yeah, I think Black Widow or The Incredible Hulk.
3: The Incredible Hulk is the answer. The Incredible Hulk only did $265 million worldwide. Black Widow is almost at $400 million worldwide, and as is Eternals. So Black Widow only has Eternals by about $11 million. So, look, Eternals is still having some run in theaters, so it, it might surpass that eventually, but I just thought it was a fun little nugget. and like that,
0: Mark. Thank like that. you.
3: This is what I'm here for, because I certainly am not an expert on Eternals. That is Coy Jandrew's job, and he did a fantastic <laughs> representation of that today. Because look, bottom line is this, whatever you want to say about Eternals, it opened up the universe for the MCU, and it also was a very progressive film in that we got the first MCU sex scene. We got the first uh, gay superhero on the big screen. We got that first kiss. We got the first deaf superhero, and we got the first South Asian superhero. So there's a lot of first, and I think very important first with this movie, and Coy, you had one last thing to say before we move on to mailbag.
2: Yeah, it's important to me. I I, I wanted to talk about, we. T- I talked about earlier how all of the powers tie into their choices and how I love that because a lot of times in comic book movies, their powers seem completely erroneous to their decision-making. And I think in comic books, it's a lot more like correlative. Like you do feel, just like in life, like I, I like the gym for my sanity and I do feel like my moving in the world a certain way affects my dis- Like those things are very important. So powers paralleling decision-making. So I love personally that Marvel decided that fastos wouldn't just be our first gay superhero. He was also the one that chose to create a family because he was a Mm -hmm. creator. So I love that it wasn't just like I, I thought it was very important that in a movie as big as Avengers, we did have our first gay mention of character. But it did definitely feel a little bit like Disney going like, OK, we did the thing. I wanted way more. And obviously now we got that. But I love that it wasn't just him being a gay superhero it was him creating a family as a way with connecting with humanity. It was him connecting by way of of literal creation to the level of he was kind of the one that got humanity the most. And I think it's really important for audiences that don't necessarily have friends in the LGBTQ community or people that they know directly to see how foundational it is to connect to all kinds of families and that adoption is just as important as blood family and that that any relationship is as important as your straight white relationship, Ted in Idaho. Like that is so important to me that Marvel did this on such a scale that this was a summer blockbuster that made that something that didn't feel like it was pandering, that didn't feel like it was just for the sake of doing it, but that felt foundational to what humanity can be. And that's another huge reason I love this movie is that Brian Tyree Henry and Marvel didn't play it as look at me they played it as like this is life and the whole cast didn't feel it didn't feel aggressively progressive and it didn't feel like we were watching a movie where they cast someone of each race it felt like hey if you're gonna make a bunch of aliens that are robots about humanity it wouldn't just be a bunch of people that that watch bill o'reilly it wouldn't look like that so it was really important to me to have this cast be this and especially fastos because i think we're a little behind and that helped a lot to get us to where we should be Well said.
3: Standing ovation from me, sir. So now we move on to... And we go to mailbag. And I'm actually told that we don't have a mailbag today because it's a repeat of a previous mailbag. So once again, Iram in Indonesia, we're going to do Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter in (laughs) in the new year. I promise we're going to do it. And with that, we simply go to our grand finale. All of our fans can email us anytime. RT is wrong at Rotten Tomatoes. Dot com. And we got a lot of great thoughtful emails about doing Eternals for this episode, which was yes. part of the inspiration other than the fact that every time coin and I interacted in person, he <laughs> said, when can I talk eternal So shout out Bonnie Murdoch, Alicia Dixon, Nicholas Bayfield, and Danielle Kester, who wanted us to do this episode and so many more of y'all who have let us know via social media, however you want to get in touch with us. Again, our email is rtiswrong at rotten dot And with that, we say thank you and goodbye to the crew here today, but not before Koy Jander tells us all the wonderful things he's working on and gives us a streaming recommendation. And uh, you can tell us Hawkeye, Coy. You can say <laughs> Hawkeye if you want. But I know you watch a lot of stuff that is not just in the context of the MCU. So what is the newest and the latest and the greatest for you? And what should everybody be watching at home?
2: Uh, I, let's see. I, I, let I me, mean, I mean by, by where I'd find me first, because I got to percolate. For some reason, my brain didn't prep a streaming rack. Uh, find me at Koyjandro, uh, spelled like that, C O Y J A N D R E A U, on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok. I'm on TikTok and I'm trying to learn it. And I'm literally watching 12 year olds on YouTube to learn how to TikTok and feeling 87, so validate me. Help me understand. Uh, but also, I'm doing rewatches of Matrix Just in Spider Man with Christian Harloff over on SDN. I'm doing Hawkeye, uh, reactions with The Real Rejects. I'm uh, doing Spider-Man stuff with Sony. I've got stuff coming out in the next year I can't talk about, but it has all been thanks to you guys and, and thanks to Rotten Tomatoes for having me on because this is my favorite thing to, to meet new audiences and to reach new people. So tweet me, Instagram me, yell at me on the street. It's happened more lately and it's made me happy and then also uncomfortable because it's real. Uh, but please, please hunt me down. Uh, as far as watching something, um... I rewatched recently the Animatrix, and that is streaming on HBO Max. Okay. And I watched it for the first time when it first came out, and I didn't, I didn't get it as much. And I do feel like it has helped expand my worldview, not just in my own love of Matrix, but also animation styles. Uh, I I tend to have a hard time connecting with animation because I I like the. The Uncanny Valley freaks me out. Like, I feel like when I see a human being, I know what's what, but I do think there's something about us as humans. Like when we react to a snake or a spider, that's because like, we, we know it's negative. I, I do think there is something about something being almost human that something happened a long time ago that freaked us out. So I see animation sometimes, it looks too real. And I'm like, that might've been something that tried to kill me in a past life, but I digress. Animatrix gave me much more of an understanding of why, like, friends of mine love anime and why people that I really respect and admire get more out of animated movies than I do. So I feel like Animatrix was a really good gateway drug into me understanding an entire medium of filmmaking that, uh, short of Spider-Verse, I hadn't understood before. So Animatrix, the story is genius, the animation the styling is genius. It's going to be important, I imagine, for Resurrections. I haven't seen it yet. And it's something that you can watch on HBO Max right now.
3: Sweet. All right. And uh, the Matrix is Koi's religion, as he uh, told us before. So uh, I still believe in the force, Koi the Matrix. And whether you're taking the blue pill or the red pill, we want everybody to have a safe and Merry New Year. And uh, good luck in 2022, everyone. Let's, well, let's do it right this time. What do we yeah. all say? Huh? Raise yeah. a glass of champagne or at least apple cider to that. A whole lot more naked clavicles in 2022. <laughs> Once again, you can email us. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. tomatoes.com. Subscribe. A rate, a review, whatever the way you choose to digest your podcast, encourage you to do what that platform says. Hey, if you do this or you hit this button or you do this, it's going to get the show up there. Do that for us. You've done it so many times, and we really appreciate each and every one of the members of our fresh catch up crew. Next week, Jacqueline, whoo, boy, we're talking. A TV show, and when I say TV show, I mean a streaming show because it is The Witcher Season 1 with special yes. guest Trisha Hirschberger, who just did Binge Battle, also about The Witcher. So her and Maude Garrett had a lot of things to say, and we'll get deep into The Witcher Season 1 as Season 2 is now upon us. It's going to be a good time, as was this. I think we all learned a lot. I think we all gained a little bit of insight into the MCU and possibly what to expect in the future of the marvel cinematic universe for everybody here at rotten tomatoes is wrong brian perez our esteemed engineer tim ryan our review curation manager producer lucy Lucy. jacqueline coley my esteemed co-host who once again just makes a hell of a thanksgiving dinner and our special guest andrew i am merely mark ellis saying so long and happy new year